Welcome. Welcome once again as we travel into the mystic. I'm Kayleen McCaw coming to you from the heart of Wildwood Gardens. Sending out the carrier wave that extends the power of extension into the same form as the form of all that is. The mystic is that place behind the scenes at the human experience where we consciously play by the rules behind the rules, the way better rules, the rules that put us back in charge, the rules that make sense of what the ancients have been telling us for the longest time. Increasingly, the mystic is the place where science meets spirituality and everybody says, wow, guess we did have the same thing in mind all along, didn't we? So I light the cup of joy. I put forth the fragrance of wholeness and dedicate this time to a quest for capital T Truth calling in all of the help that is available, known and unknown by names accepted, by names rejected, calling forth the truth that arises between two honest seekers, calling forth the information that is needed for everyone who has a divine appointment to be here with us, no matter how far it is in the future. And knowing that that's exactly what happens. What you ask for is what you get, whether you ask for it on purpose, or whether you ask for it by accident. And it works a lot better when you ask on purpose. So my guest today is Steve McAllister, a Sarasota native, uh, author, performer, all around mensch, decent guy, who's been uh, thinking about the same kind of things I've been thinking about for a long time. And we're specifically gonna have the kind of jaw you don't get to have with a lot of people about uh, what happens when you realize that unless you forgive God, you're just not going forward? Because one of the things we have in, con in common is the status of what you might say, recovering Christian. Hello, Steve. Hello, thank you for having me. Absolutely, it's a pleasure. Sure. So what you been up to in the most recent past? Give us a little catch up. In the most recent past, I, I uh, got myself a, a PA system several months ago, and I'm now realizing that I can also use it to record my songs. And so I've got it patched into my computer, and I'm laying down tracks on my uh, six-string guitar, my 12-string guitar, my vocals and drums, and then I'm having other artists uh, contribute tracks to go along with it. And so I've been doing that. I've got about 30 original songs that I've written, and so now I'm getting them to where I can really share them out there and let them do some good. Nice. So that's what I've been most recently as, as a songwriter, yeah. I love that technology. That's been one of my dreams is because it's, it's really possible now. You can sing a song with the whole world and just kind of watch oh, sure. it assemble virtually in front of you. Yeah, I was telling my friend Wayne, who uh, he has a Jump Dog Studios is his business, and he's just an amazing mixer, an amazing musician, and was telling him what I was doing. He's like, you know, remember that you know, Chris Christopherson recorded all his songs on a four-track recorder, you know? And so there's a lot of songs that were produced that way on, on technology less than what is currently on our phones. So, you yeah. know, so much we have the, the cap capabilities of, of producing now is just astounding. Yeah. And so putting my, uh, my uh, technology to good work. Excellent. Excellent. Um, you know, the reason that, I guess the thing that really triggered me to 
contact you and ask if we could have this conversation is you posted something recently that harkened back to a conversation we had, you know, time gets away from me a while back uh, about Jubilee. And uh, Jubilee is this concept that I learned during my contact with way far right, how did that ever happen to me, fundamentalism, um, which, you know, I look back on and say, wow, I learned a lot, you know, and I want the good stuff back. And I'm not going to be committed to my injuries and my offense. I'm going to, you know, harvest the whole of my life and see what, what good it makes going forward. Um, Gosh, I don't want to start off with a long technical explanation of what Jubilee is. Let's come back to that when it comes in more harmonious. But what it amounts to is, okay, I guess I am. <laughs> so the Jewish people, in addition to holding on to this legacy of, you know, pain and hurt feelings that kind of keep us all from going forward, are also holding on to the answer to that very problem, which is this concept of Jubilee that if you follow the old system, I mean the old system that still shows up in perfect timing in the cycles of the moon, they're still right on schedule with the prophetic stuff when it comes down to the things that are happening in the stars when you look at it from a lunar calendar perspective. But one of the original parts of the law, you know, the capital L law, is that every period of 50 whatevers, you have a do-over. 50 days, 50 weeks, 50 years, 50 millennia, 50, you know, that, that there's, there's this concept that there has to be built into the system of guilt, a system of release. And in Christianity, it comes down to us as, you know, the whole story. But it's part of the financial thing, because this is the system that gave us our whole current idea of debt. Uh, which becomes debt slavery and you know this kind of thing we don't know how to get out of but inside that very structure is the idea that once every so often and we're way overdue for one of those so often there comes a time where you know the big this is how it works or else it's never going to work law says you've got to release everybody from the promises they made because if there's not an end point we all suffer forever that was a that was a whole lot of words. Does that make sense? It made sense. Good jubilee. I mean, if there was ever a time when we need it real bad, it sure seems like now. Yeah, it sure does. You know, I mean, I'm not a proponent of the Bible at all. And I read through a lot of the laws in Leviticus and and you know, a few of them, they're just insane. They're crazy. Yeah. Things that, you know, I can't can't believe that, that God actually said that these are what we should do. However, I have to recognize there are people who do. And, and because that book, you know, has in, in Leviticus chapter 25, it has this outline of what Jubilee is and how it should work. And not only should all debt be forgiven every 50 years, but every seven years, we should let the, let the uh, earth go back to, to what it needs to be. Right. So, you know, there's that as well. And so, you know, letting, letting the earth go where, where it should be. Can you hang on a second? Sure. Yeah, that's where we get the idea of sabbatical that um, I learned from my mother who came from an educational background. Every seven years, you should just take a year off and remember who you are. 
it's part of this whole cycle. That's why the seventh day of the week is the Sabbath day. It's part of this same idea that there's a, there's a time for labor and then there's a time to gather yourself back together so you have what you need to continue laboring. <laughs> So I was okay, talking about the, how the whole idea of sabbatical and the Sabbath fits into that, that there's this, yeah. this natural rhythm that really makes a whole lot of sense. And what we tend to remember about the whole Judeo-Christian world is all the stuff that went crazy and got us in this fix, that the, the process that I've been really kind of confronted with a lot lately is that if I can forgive God for being inside of a really stupid story that didn't work, that you know there's a lot of good stuff to mine out of that and um, and being able to say you know yes there is goodness in this thing builds a lot of bridges to people who will not for anything come out of that world so why not why not find the common ground yeah exactly you know and, and i look at it like even though you know, humans created this whole monetary system. As you said, they recognized there was debt built into it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they realized pretty quickly that every 50 years, the debt is going to get enormous. It's going to get too much to, to pay. You know, like, like the debt we have now, there is more debt in the world than there is money. You yeah. know, all the debt we've created, there is no way to pay it. It's impossible. It's just impossible. And very early on, using money, they realized this, you know, and these men wrote it into their, to their little law that every year, 50 years, we're going to have to do it. Now, it was never actually practiced, you know. There's, there's, there's rumor that, you know, smaller areas had started sort of practicing this, and that's where the idea came from. But it's not been something that, that the church or, or the Jewish faith has ever really said, you know, we're going to really do this in recorded history. They happened. And so, you know, my call is, if you are a Christian, if you say that book is perfect and infallible and stuff, that's what I want you to talk about. I want you to talk about the year of Jubilee and canceling all of this debt, because we all realize either if you're a Christian or a Jew, or, or just if you're just a human being with common sense and says, hey, you know what, maybe we're evolving, and we're basically making this up as we go. And we all need to recognize all of this. We're just making it up as we go. There's nothing natural about our money system and our economic system and our finance. It's all our imagination. And we need to come to a realization that, yeah, every 50 years, we got to hit the reset. We know we're addicted to money. We can't stop using it. It, it, it does serve its purpose, but we need to keep it realistic. We right. can't have debt, and especially to the point where 1% of the population owns 70% of the wealth. You know, that's, that's ridiculous. You know, how we got to let people live. We got to let people go. We got to let people uh, do all they can. And for that, we need forgiveness. That's the most powerful force in the universe, not only from the, the Christian religion, but every spiritual teacher out there worth his salt from every tradition says the same thing. You know, forgiveness is key. You got to let go, move on. Yeah, that's, that's, one, of the, that's one of the primary F words, forgiveness. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, it's a tough one because in the in the Christian experience, instead of starting with the really good news, which is that, hey, you're free and it can be really cool. It starts with, well, first, let me tell you why you're in a whole lot of trouble and you have to buy my insurance product, which is forgiveness. Uh, and to be able to turn that around into a place where 
I mean, forgiveness is freedom. Forgiveness is the foundation that any, any idea that you're in any kind of bondage at any time, financial, emotional, relational, whatever, is inside this larger context that we do recognize that I'm the one writing the story. We're the ones making it up. And if there comes a time, which I think has surely come, when it's not working, that we have absolute authority and indeed a responsibility to write the story a better way. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where we are now, you know, and I think those of us who, who aren't followers of the Judeo-Christian sect, you know, that's fine. But like I said, we still got to recognize that all of this whole monetary system is made up and we got to forgive that debt. Those of us who are involved in that Judeo-Christian uh, tradition, you know, need to be called on that and saying, OK, then put some energy on this, because this is really important right now especially considering the fact that we're in this pandemic right now and all this debt is owed. And a lot of us are like, okay, we, we need to pay the masters their due. Either we pay the masters their due or we're homeless, you know? And that's, that's the choice that we're left to make in the land, in the land of the free. That just doesn't, doesn't fly, you know? Right. And there's gotta be a realization that, you know, for so many of these, these property owners who so badly need their continued money, it's one of those things that you need to realize that if they never get this money, they're never going to notice. They're, they're, a lot of them have more money than they can possibly spend in 10 or 12 lifetimes. So if they don't get our little pittance, it's not going to matter. And mm. I don't know, or they to forget some of that debt, it's not going to harm them. It's just going to create a more vibrant community and a more vibrant economy where people can go out and start actually spending money again. Because right now, there's so many people who are just doing what they do just to make the ends meet because the masters need their money. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and it's, not, it, it's not just the slaves who are in a system of slavery. It's the masters also. And I think that's kind of the, the hidden thing inside this, this ancient idea is that the big reason that we have Jubilee, that we have a do-over button inside the game is that everybody gets stuck in a position that doesn't work. Uh, there have been lots of studies that say there's actually a maximum income at which your happiness peaks out and beyond that, you just, you only feel the pain of the idea of losing some of your wealth and you never get any happier. So it's an addiction for those who need to be forgiven of being the boss of the thing too. Because the, the system only works when it works for everybody. Yeah, they say there's a the, the, the test that's been done on that. I think it's like $75,000 a year puts you in that position where, you know, all your needs are going to be covered and you're cool and you really have the freedom to live your life however you want to do at that point, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that's what they say is that peak happiness level as far as what money money offers you, you know? Because, I mean, if some of us, if we get $500, we're going to be elated. That's a great, huge amount of money. But if you already got $5 million, well, $500 isn't going to make you happy, you know? And so right. that's kind of the point of that is, is, is a, a lot of things that make some of us happy just don't make all of us happy anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to get to the point where we're at least encouraging uh, our society to allow people to have as much of that freedom as, as possible, you know, instead of catering to this idea as, okay, here's the game. You need to collect as much of this stuff as you can. You know, you need to you take it out of the system and you need to have it in your accounts. And, and this is, this is the game. Now we have to get as much as possible and take away from as many people as possible to do that. Right. And that's just, it puts us in this, this, this mindset of constant, constant competition where you've got to compete 
for those dollars because they're so scarce and you got to get as many as you can. And, uh, you know, it puts you in conflict with the world. You know, it puts you into that, that mindset where every day is a competition and every day you need to compete and every day is a, is a fight, a struggle. And life doesn't need to be that way. Life provides, especially looking tradition uh, mindset or that Christ sought to teach was, you know, the birds of the air are cared for, the flowers of the field are cared for. Why are you worrying about stuff? Exactly. You know? exactly. And we get ourselves to the point where we give people that freedom. And if there's anyone in the Christian church who wants to do that and start asking questions about Jubilee and start mentioning that word and bringing it up and questioning, how do we get past this man-made system? Because right. there really is, as the Bible said, the way that seems right to a man, but that way always ends in death. And that's what this system that we're serving so much of, you know, is doing. It's leading us to our death. Mm -hmm. Because we're so beholden to it, we are literally making it so that we will not be able to survive on this planet at some point in the next, maybe a few decades, because we have to turn everything, everything, everything into money. Because right. we have to get we have to do that. That's the most important thing. And so we're all scurrying around, burning up every ounce of our time, every calorie of our energy, every drop of fossil fuels or oils and coal and everything, burning it all so that we can make this money to, to pay off these masters and these ridiculous man-made debts instead of stopping to realize that, yeah, we need to let that stuff go. And let's look at what's really important in life. Right. So that's what I want to see happen. Because money, this whole money construct, you're right, it is absolutely imaginary. It's a very uh, persistent illusion, like the illusion that we exist. But what it stands for is this external thing that takes the place of my intrinsic value. And when I subject myself to the monetary system, I mean, especially because it's got its its rule, its roots in empire and domination and the rape of the earth. And I mean, it just goes on and on. What's wrong with the the money itself, the dirt, uh, the emotional dirt and baggage on the money that I lose my connection to my own value, to the value of my own life. And it, it kind of short circuits that pursuit of happiness because there's no pursuit of anything but the money that uh, stands between me and all the things that I want. Yeah, and that's the big challenge, you know, and it, and it, it does work as a very a good tool for um, accounting for things and keeping track of things. And, and there's a chapter in my book, I wrote a book called Money, Sex, Power, and Faith, that looks how, at how our, our culture has developed over the last 10,000 years. And uh, there was a, one of the economists from the Federal Reserve Bank had written an article a few years ago that said money is memory. And for that, it works fantastically, you know, and, and where it is now, where, you know, 91.5% of it is digital, you know, only, you know, less than 10% of our money supplies actually coin or cash. Uh, most of it is just digital. It's just energy and information. That's it. It doesn't exist in material form at all. Mm -hmm. But it does work well, as we're seeing in blockchain and that sort of thing. We can start using it to keep track of what needs to keep keep track of. But a lot of times, you just got to erase it and <laughs> let it go. Because you can't be track of it. It doesn't matter anymore, you know? And the fact that we use money so often as that proxy for value, as you were talking about, you know, those, that, those are times when we often don't use the tool properly, you know? 
every tool you got to use properly. There's that, that quote that, you know, if you see every problem as a nail, you're going to, you know, answer it all with a, with a hammer. Uh, and, and that's not the way we need to use, use money. There are certain things we do need to use it for and certain things we shouldn't use it for. And unfortunately, we've used it for a lot of things that it shouldn't be used for. So we need to get back to what the real value is. It's become, yeah, a substitute for the moral high ground. It's become a substitute for wisdom. If you got enough of it, you can push your agenda through, even if you're demonstrably insane and an enemy of humanity. You can just buy your way through because it, it becomes a system that's no longer tied to, well, anything that actually makes, makes sense. I love what you said there, that um, money is memory. Because that really brings us to the situation that we're sharing on the planet right now in another direction. We've got, we've got all this debt in the memory of the financial system. And by the same token, we've got all this debt in our subconscious mind. You know, you call it karma. You call it trauma. You call it all kinds of things. We've got all these memories below the surface of all the bad things that have been done to us all the bad things we've done to other people all the dirty secrets that people don't want to come out and they'll protect themselves with their financial power to make sure it doesn't happen but you know that jubilee that do-over means everybody just gets to say wow can we start again and I, you know, I mean, that's the point where people come up against forgiveness and say, nope, not going to forgive that, by golly. But uh, just the, the letting go of the, the debt we believe we have in our own minds that I have to keep chewing on the badness of the people around me. I have to keep fingering the beads of how evil the evil are. That's the same kind of trap as the people who have too much money to be happy. You know, I have too much resentment to experience the joy of my own life. Yeah. Yeah. And we're often, you know, caught in that in our, in our own, as you said, our, our karma as well, because we think about, you know, all the things that we don't deserve and we have to pay back because of the bad things that we've done, you know, and a lot of that is this, we've been taught some really bad lessons, you know, mm -hmm. and the challenge for me, especially in the, the Christian community is, as you said, you, you start the story by, by saying what's wrong with you uh, and that you're, you're in and say you have this debt and, and you're, you deserve to be punished for all eternity. Um, but they don't go back a little bit further to, to look at the, the, the basis, the main character of this story being God. And that story that, you know, in the beginning, God made all this stuff and, and it was all good. That was original design. And then um, he gave man free will. And then shortly after said, oops, <laughs> didn't see that coming, you know. <laughs> and so the, the caricature that is created about God, uh, that he's so short-sighted and fallible. Yeah. God's dumb, and the Bible, God's dumb, and mean. Yeah, and so I, I think that, you know, we need to relook at that story and, and realize what, what this, this character really is, you know, and it's, it's, it's us creating God in our image, and, and you know, saying we're these fallible creatures, and it allowed us uh, as humans to create these hierarchies and kingdoms and get a lot of stuff done, but <laughs> at what expense, you know, and I think now is the time where we have to look back and say, you know, we need to tell a new story. You know, this is a story we've been telling for quite a while, and we need to retell the story because the story we're telling about God is that he's very short-sighted or, or he doesn't care really about him. Or, or just, what, I, what I heard for really kind of the first time when I did the Holy Roller thing, because I was raised Presbyterian, and they're just like, you know, 
just very intellectual, reasonable people. But I came down here and got into the whole, woo. And a big part of what the church is doing in its far right aspect is uh, fighting the devil. And all the energy is on the big bad guy who apparently is maybe a little stronger than God. So we got to protect the old dude from the big bad guy. And it really becomes this unconscious worship of evil. And that, that mindset, I think, has taken over a bit of our reality. Yeah. Yeah, I've often said the big problem with a lot of Christians is they're just such good Satanists. You know, and then because I have, I've never heard anyone who claimed to be a Satanist be as much a proponent for Satan and be so empowered for Satan as, mo as so many Christians are, you know, and, and it's not most Christians, but it's just that, that evangelical bent. And there's that, that cluster of, of different churches who just, you know, saying Satan can control this world and he's making it all happen. And they watch the news and they say, Satan, 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 Satan. Right. And they look around and and all they see is the work of Satan, and they never see the work of God. And, and somewhere along the way, you lost sight of, of what you're actually supposed to be seeing, I think. Right. Because I see God at work all over the place. You know, I see some men making, and, and women, making um, some horrific mistakes every day. But, you know, it's just part of life. It's how we learn. It's the pro process. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't see, you know, Satan working all the time. I see God doing amazing things. What I know is God, not the caricature. Uh, but, yeah. 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 So when I, you know, was going through my process of taking back the good parts, you know, sort of like the princess bride, right? I'm going to take back the good parts of the story is I had to go back to the first chapter. And that's really the only place where it's working. In the beginning, the Elohim, who are a plural being. So you've got, you know, the male and female together, this one complete being, you've got an actual family of divinity says, hey, wouldn't it be cool to make a world? It's like, yeah, and look how good we made it. And then the next thing that happens, that's the first time anything is not good, is when it's this, well, it doesn't even matter what it is, because that's the point at which it becomes the record of everything that went wrong. And all the real instructions on how to do it are in that first chapter. And it's exactly what you said. It's, you you got to be able to look at what is and say it's good. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I know that those are the rules. Everything that happens here is happening inside of a good perspective. I mean, it's, it's a good plan. It's a good judgment from the beginning. And if I'm judging it different than that, then I'm just in the cautionary tale. And I'd, I'd rather move back into the good part of the book. <laughs> yeah, I've got to often said, you know, as far as the Bible is concerned, in the beginning, as you said, everything was good. You know, the land, the air, the water, humans, all of them good. Yeah. That's the original of everything. And then at the end of the book, after the revelation and all the other stuff that goes on there, everything's good again. So, you know, it's good in the beginning, good in the end. Everything else is just commentary. And the revelation, right? It's not actually a story about a big war that has to happen. It's about the time when we realize that we could have been in that first chapter the whole time. It's like, honey, it was always good. It's like, did you like your suffering? Because you worked really hard for it. Yeah. And, you know, again, not saying that the book is, is perfect or infallible, as a lot of uh, devotees do. Uh, however, you know, it still tells a story, you know, and that's the story that we're, we need to, to get through, forgive ourselves for continuing to tell that story, because it is kind of limited, um, and, and open up to the, to the new story, to the greater abundance, the greater realization of what God really is. Not just this little character that fits in this little box that we need to kill people over 
and force them to believe uh, in order for us to feel good about ourselves. But this greater entity that has provided every single breath we've ever had, every beat of our heart, every one of these cells that comes together and cohesively works throughout this planet, everything, everything, you know, and beyond just all of our ideas of what it could be, it's just so much more. And living in that reality of, of understanding that that entity that has given you all of those breaths and every sight you've ever seen and sound you've ever heard and everything you've ever had is continuing to provide for you as long as you open up to it. You know, that's a truer faith. And the new story we need to start telling is that we're all just blessedly provided for regardless of the story we have been telling over the last few years. Now it's in a new time. We're in a new place. We're all rising like phoenixes and, you know, let's let go of the old and move into the new. Yeah. And that's that emotional jubilee. You that's know, exactly that, that that's really the opportunity. I think it's being presented to us and perhaps the reason behind everything falling apart is that I really feel that on some level we're getting everything we asked for. And we're just so used to complaining. We're saying, well, wait, isn't it work anymore? It's like, because it never worked and you asked for it to go away. <laughs> it's like, we, that, that, that the skill that's just totally missing here is the skill to say, yes, thank you, more please. Yes, that was good. Because even like what could have been the greatest instruction in the Bible, my, one of my teachers always said, God said it 365 times, so there's one for every day, and I never counted, is fear not. But the problem is that when you tell people what not to do, you just screw the whole thing. Because you're looking at the things you fear and trying to make them not happen. And if we can just translate that into give thanks, in all things give thanks. That's what that nice Hebrew boy said. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, this has been said that the universe doesn't understand a negative. You know, the universe as it's creating, all you, all you know the universe are the positive things that you see that are creating. You don't see the negative space. You don't see the dark void and the dark space and the dark matter, all that negative. And so when you put something like fear not in there, well, you just saying fear. <laughs> that's, that's what you're throwing out there, you know? And so that's, that's the challenge with this entire tradition is fear. That's yeah. the whole thing. It's, let me tell you something. You should be afraid because when you die, you're going to suffer for all of eternity. Now, <laughs> let's talk about this life. Let's you talk know? about why you shouldn't fear now that we taught yeah. you to fear. The story starts with that. And, you know, even though um, fewer and fewer people, I think, are, are following that tradition that, that, that says that we're all destined to, to suffer for all eternity, um, it's still been... Uh, it's still been ingrained into so many of other, other life lessons, into so many other stories that we tell, and so many of the ways that we run our system, you know, right. run our world. You know, and that's unfortunately uh, gotten us to this point where we're really hell-bent on punishing people because we've used that, that picture, that caricature of God as the, the arbiter of justice, you know, so much so in our country of, land of the free we have more people in prison than any other country on the planet hands down yeah. you know uh we're just we're all about punishing people and so okay. we need to start forgiving that and realize that yeah we're all evolving we're all changing we're all becoming what we can be and a lot of that needs to be in forgiveness and allowing people to do that and now that we've realized that you know marijuana should never have been illegal Ever. That right should never have been stripped from humanity. We have destroyed millions of lives because of the fear, 
that was in that plant, that we feared that plant. And we, some of us said Satan made that plant because Satan has more power than God. Right. So many Christians cowering, having no faith in their God. They were afraid of it. You know, there's no faith there. And so now we're at a point where we're realizing, oh, look at that. Nature was providing for us all along. If we had used this medicinal plant wisely for the last hundred years, instead of cowering in fear, imagine how different life would be right now. Imagine how many lives would not have been taken through overdoses of other, other drugs and other pharmaceuticals. Imagine how many people would not have been imprisoned and become criminals. You know, imagine how different it would be. And now we're at that point where we can open up to that and not be afraid of it anymore. Now we can educate ourselves, you know, some of us anyway. Some states are still pretty afraid of it. And of course, the federal government is still afraid of it because it likes to control. But, you well, know. They're, they're going to be afraid of it until they tie up all the patents so they get to make money on the new, <laughs> on the new yeah. market. I mean, that's the, you know, that's the cynical approach. Um, yes, you, you, made a, you made a really important point is that I do not know what the percentages are, but mm. a whole lot of people would say that they absolutely do not believe in hell, do not believe in that Old Testament God, do not believe any of that stuff. Nonetheless, it is the base code of our unconscious because like you say, it's written into the story behind the story of all the systems that we're inside of. So it's almost more insidious if you know that you don't believe it because then you don't realize that you do. Sort of like that Christian trap of, well, of course I believe, you know, God's in charge, but my actions say that I'm scared that Satan is. Um, and when, when I can't see my own darkness because the, it's just too much to handle, then I'm enthralled to it. Yeah. Basically, that's the way that it goes. You know, that's where we get, we get caught, is all those things that we're afraid of, and, and instead of the things that are, that are wonderful and are amazing, you know? And, and I think with this whole, debt cycle that you're talking about are these things we have to, to cling to because if we let go of what's been done in the past you know how are we gonna provide for the future and realize that the same way that the past was provided in the first place it's going to continue to be created and all that you know well, that, that comes back to that whole um i mean the other f word you know faith that it, it's a tough one because we are so indoctrinated into what to be afraid of that we don't really learn how to have faith in goodness because you kind of have to choose one. Do you have faith in the power of fear to protect you from evil? Or do you have faith in the goodness of life to hold you and take care of everything? Yeah. And it's like a, well, I've come to think of it as a conscious sacrifice. That we're trained to think that sacrifice means, you know, the point where you let yourself be hurt in hopes that you get something better. But it really means is the thing that you do to bring the beauty back. Right. I, will, I will sacrifice my fear. I mean, it's an old, you know, it's one of the old worship songs. I'm laying, I'm laying it down for the joy. I will sacrifice my fear for the equivalent amount of joy. I will trade in my debt for the equivalent amount of, of peace. Um, it's a worthy exchange, I think. Yeah, and they say, you know, sacrifice actually means to make sacred. You know, that's what you're really doing. This is whatever you are sacrificing, you're recognizing this is things sacred in your life. And by sacrificing something, you're making it all the more so, mm -hmm. you know? That's, that's uh, So what yeah. does that word mean? What does that word mean to you? That's a, 
that's a bugaboo, but I think it's increasingly important. What sacred, you know, truly, actually sacred, not a sacred cow, not a big phony baloney trying to manipulate you with my holier than thou, but truly, actually sacred. What's, what is that? I think it's that thing that you, you, you really uh, care for, you know, in a, I don't know, holy and special way, I would think, you know, something that, that is, is uh, important to you and, and uh, revered and uh, appreciated in ways that, that other ways, other things aren't, I guess. Mm -hmm. And that's a little question. <laughs> it is, it's kind of the biggest question there is. But I, I ask it just, I guess, as much as anything to point out the fact that we stop thinking in those terms. Sure. Yeah. And that something has to be sacred or everything is profane. I mean, that's yeah. the division in the language between the sacred and the profane. The things that um, I will stand for, the things that must not be violated. And I yeah. guess what pulls it all together here is that we have this opportunity to acknowledge the sacredness of the system of life that earth has given us, that exists here, the system of life that holds us all together. And I, I guess that's for me, that's what's sacred here is, I'm gonna call it Gaia, Mother God. You know, the missing piece that makes Father God not a crazy lonely old jerk anymore, but part of the family of which we are the children that this, this creation that was given to us, that was good, that still is good, that sacred, that memory of home, that memory of oneness, that, that vision of beauty that guides us in a way that we create beauty, that that's sacred. It's not something you go to war to protect. It's something you you just hold and enjoy and it works its magic in this wonderful soft lovely way yeah yeah i think it's, it's the way that you experience things as well you know i mean making the making the moment sacred uh and the, the enjoyment of life sacred is really what what all of the other things that we hold sacred are about is to get us into that zone where we can live in the sacred moment and it's just you know a, a realization that life is unfolding around you and through you and you're all part of it and it's all connected and you know so so many times we hold our, our scriptures sacred or things outside of ourselves that we have to force ourselves to to argue about or create apologetics about or those kind of things instead of all of our our scriptures or other things that we think are sacred or as alan watt said behind me uh you know they're all fingers pointing to the moon but they're not the moon itself and when you can live that sacred moment, live in that holy instant, as of course a miracle said, that's that's where real uh, sacrifice comes, where you're able to let go of everything else uh, for that that moment. Um, yeah. When you're all sacred, it's all good. Yeah, I sacrifice my pain to make sacred my life. Yeah. You mentioned A Course in Miracles. That's been coming up a lot lately with uh, Mary Ann Williamson sort of quietly sitting in the background, leading the country while everything's going crazy. Um, and that's, a, that's, I find, a really powerful tool because it, it brings actual sanity and Christian language together again. 
where it, it actually, it does that thing we're talking about. It points toward the goodness. It points toward the power. It points toward what you should be able to do if you actually follow the teachings of that, I call him that nice Hebrew boy, you know, that you should be able to alter the world around you through this. And, and the, the number one principle is this radical forgiveness. I mean, radical forgiveness, because nothing matters but my freedom. And that comes on the other side of letting it all go. Right. Yeah, because if you've got to hold the grudge, then you've got to carry on to that, you know, and you're not able to do all the wonderful, amazing things that you could do if you were able to let it go, you know. And, if, and of course, the miracles says a lot about that. And forgiveness is our, the reason we're here. That's our, our whole reason for existence is to be able to forgive and live. If you can do that, then you can live out that role of God and realize that, you know, yeah, it's, it's all coming through you, exactly as Jesus and all of the other spiritual masters have said throughout throughout the ages and just opening up to that and that's you know that that's where we need to be is forgiving all of the fallibilities that humankind has displayed over the last ten thousand years or so as we've continually tried to make our way and try to find our way we've made mistake after mistake after mistake just like everyone does as individuals our society is no different and we need to forgive all of that and recognize that, oh, yeah, our whole monetary system, it was made up, we're making up along, you know, communism, socialism, all those things are just things we're making up, mistakes along the way, capitalism, if I can bear criticize it uh, in this area, but, you know, uh, yeah, it's just something we made up. And, you know, forgive ourselves for making mistakes along the way, but get back to recognizing what's really important. Right. And being that conduit of life, conduit of service, conduit of love and joy and peace and kindness, and self-control and gentleness. You know, those are all the, the, the key uh, fruits of the spirit that, that we all want, mm -hmm. not just in Christianity, but throughout all of the other uh, religious and spiritual traditions. We're all pointing toward that same thing and having that ability to live in the sacred moment and just be that, um, be that hand of God working in the world. Mm -hmm. And this is the key way to do that is, is to realize that everybody is making this all up. <laughs> and none of us knows what's going on other than the fact that we're here in this present moment and we get to live in this eternal life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. The, you've said that a couple times and I think it's a real key that maybe the simplest expression of what is sacred is that present moment is our presence my mm -hmm. presence in my life that's when i am in joy that's when i'm in sacredness that's when i'm in harmony that's when i'm connected with that god mind that's when i'm in the garden that's when i'm back in the first chapter that's when it's working that you know, the, the language is pretty beautiful, the way that, that things just double back on each other. The, they call it the present because it's a gift. It's the place where everything comes together and, and works. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if that was intentional. <laughs> I think it's all intentional. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, to me, is what, what holds me together. It, the reason I wanted to put this in a Christian context is because it was such a big deal for me to go back because the wounds were so deep. I mean, my ability to care about anything was just messed up because the story is like an artful trap. And all kinds of things happen that are 
not really relevant anymore because I decided my peace was more important than my pain. But there was a point at which, you know, saying, yeah, I've been like talking to Jesus and thinking about Christ is like one of the craziest things I could possibly say. And expecting people to respond like, burn the witch! <laughs> because something in me was feeling that. And being able to truly be at peace with all of the stories. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to put all of the history of degradation that happened in the name of the church down to wrong use of language. Because I don't care <laughs> if it was done on, for, on purpose. You know, it looks to me like a simple coding error. And we can just change that and be happy. And I would rather do that than fight another holy war. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can only reconcile it with, with yourself. And each one of us has to tell our own story. And together we'll tell that that greater story, but, but, you know, forgiving uh, the misuse of language, as you said, over these last few centuries is, is huge. It's a big thing we got to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just let it be okay. It, it always keeps coming, keeps coming down to that, allowing, you know, allowing the goodness to flow, allowing the good thing to be here now in the present, yeah. sacred present mm -hmm. moment. So um, I'll put some links below this. You've got books that are available now. When the world opens up again, you'll have performances that are, are available and websites where you post this, that, and the other thing. Is there um, anything you'd like specifically to call out to people's attention before we, before we go? There is a new, a new uh, project I just put out uh, with, with uh, Martha Robinson, uh, and it's called the What If Journal. And so it's a 30-day journal, and basically it works to, in the night, you, uh, in the evening, or sometime before you go to bed, you write a what-if question. You know, what if I were president, or what if money were no longer a thing, or what if whatever thing you can imagine, and you sleep on that, and the next morning you get up and then you write about that for a few pages, and you answer your own question. And it allows for the imagination to work again, to stretch your, your bounds, and so, you know, go and you can go to stevemc.xyz and you can find that book and all of my other music and books and blogs and other stuff there as well. Terrific. Thanks for spending a little time with me on a Friday afternoon in the midst of the global insanity. Thanks for inviting me. Always a pleasure. Good to see you again. On the other side. Yay. So thanks for going on this journey into the mystic. If you want to find out more uh, about the sound healing work that I do, the human experience quick start guide, or to achieve your personal declaration of sovereignty, which is a whole nother can of worms, you can visit KayleenMcCaw.com. And I look forward to continuing this conversation.